my name's Scott. I get to be one of the pastors here. It is truly an honor, and I'm honored to be able to be here with you tonight and share a few thoughts. We're already off to a great start, wouldn't you say? Like, worshiping as the body of Christ, there's something amazing about that. Gathering in one place, and I love this, we have Saturday night attenders, we have Sunday at 9 attenders, we have Sunday at 11 attenders. Welcome all. Wherever you hail from normally, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, we hope that you did have an opportunity to enjoy our Christmas Eve services. It was amazing. It was so great to see how God was moving in people's lives. People received the good news. We, cel we celebrate that like crazy. And our hope as well is that you had a wonderful Christmas day with your family. And some of you had the whole week off. Congratulations. The rest of you are like, hi-ho, hi-ho. Back to work I went. Um, but all the same, we are excited to be here. And tonight, we're going to be covering a lot of ground. Uh, we're going to be talking about 10,000 hours. We're going to talk about Steph Curry for a little bit. And then we're going to talk about grinding it out. Okay? Before we get to any of that, I have a verse that I want to share with you. We're not going to talk about it right now, but this is the core verse that we're talking about tonight. So you can read along with me here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Let me pray. God... You are amazing, and I ask you to prepare our hearts now to hear whatever it is that you want to say. Please use the words that you've given me to share, to impact lives, God. We surrender the rest of this service to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I read a book once by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, whose hair, I have hair envy of this guy. Here's a picture, I believe. Yeah. Um, look at that. Dude, that's awesome. I don't have any hair if you can't see me. Um, but I read this book called Outliers, and in Outliers, there's a concept called 10,000 Hours. Maybe some of you have heard of it, but the idea is this. When we see people who are tremendously successful, generally, we think that they were just built, dealt a better hand when they were born, that they are just naturally above and beyond others, whether that's athletically, intellectually, artistically, musically, whatever, that they just got the right genes. The concept of 10,000 hours does not agree with it. Malcolm Gladwell says that every person to become a master of anything, it requires 10,000 hours of practice. That's a lot of practice. He, he mentions Bill Gates. He mentions um, the Beatles. He mentions a bunch of people that are people that we would say are tremendously successful. And he says right about when it started clicking and they took off, is about the time when they hit 10,000 hours of practice. And this is a concept that is true for any and every craft, that after 10,000 hours, something um, you, you reach a point where you've mastered something, and you turn a corner. But the point is with 10,000 hours, it requires you to grind it out. It requires hard work. Some of the time, it's going to be fun. Some of the time, not so much. There's going to be barriers and obstacles and things you have to push through in order to reach 10,000 hours. Um, now I want to talk about Steph Curry. But before we get to Steph Curry, actually, I missed a blank. For those of you who are blank filler inners, 
I got it. I got it. I'm so excited about this Steph Curry video that I just got ahead of myself. Our ideal, our ideal is more glory, less grind. More glory, more of that desired outcome that you want to see with less work. Great example of this, I just heard this story recently. A seven-year-old uh, little boy asked his parents, and no, it wasn't my son, um, asked, us, asked a question, and the parents said, oh, I don't know. And he said, well, get your phone and Google it. <laughs> we don't want to wait for anything. I tried to play guitar. After one day, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like, we, we want the success. We want the glory now, not to mention 10,000 hours. But our reality is that more grind leads to more glory. More grind leads to more glory. Now, instead, we're going we're gonna to talk about Steph Curry after we watch this video about Steph Curry. That's Steph Curry at practice for Gold State, the number one seed out west. Uh, this is the tail end of 77 straight made threes. 77 in a row. Clay Thompson said the most he's ever made in a row is 36. On the day, Curry made 94 of 100. And check out his reaction when he finally misses one. I mean, these aren't free throws. These are threes. This is ridiculous. You missed the reaction. Sorry, we got cut off. But he was like, ah, like he screams like he just missed his first one. He made 77 three-pointers in a row. I shot a three-pointer this week that's NBA distance, and it took all of me, my friends. It was like legs were kicking. I was chucking it as hard. 77 in a row, 94 of 100. If you've never heard of Steph Curry, you have been introduced. He is the sharpshooter of the NBA. He is the most elite three-point shooter today. Some of you know this about him. Last year, he made 402 three-pointers. Now, if you're like me and you don't know basketball statistics, let me just point out that the next person with the most three-pointers for one season is Clay Thompson, his teammate, at 276, 126 threes were the difference. That's a lot. So we know these things about Steph Curry. What we don't know, what many people don't know, he shoots over 2,000 shots a week, 20, 250 shots a day. He shoots 100 shots before every game, 100 three-pointers before or during every single practice. The man's hands are so calloused from shooting that he's like, that's beyond hope. I, I've given up on trying to take care of them. He grinds it out. I know that Steph Curry loves the game of basketball. I don't know him personally, but I just imagine that he loves the game of basketball, that he has fun playing. But I also imagine that there are days when he's like, I don't want to. Not today. I want to sleep in. I want to hit the snooze button. I don't want to work hard. I don't want to endure the pain, the frustration. He has to fight through the games when he doesn't shoot well and the practices when he doesn't shoot well. What we learn about people who are tremendously successful, whether they're athletes, whether they're musicians, whether they're coaches, teachers, professors, students, whatever, is that they have to grind it out to become great across the board. They have to be willing to work hard and grind it out to become great. And I think it makes sense to me that we would add followers of Jesus Christ to that list. 
I imagine that if you think of the people that, that you really respect in their faith, that they are people who grind it out. They are people who fight. They move through and around obstacles in order to pursue their relationship with Christ. But it takes practice. The passage that we read already, well, I want to read again because it speaks directly to this. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. And he says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Now, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, as I mentioned, and in Corinth, there were games, kind of like Olympic games, the Isthmian games, every other year. And so they knew what the game environment was. They saw athletes training probably year-round. They would, they would try out. They would go to trials. They would be selected to move on. And from there, they, they entered into an incredibly strict regimen of workout, sleep, what they ate, and what they didn't do. They stayed focused on the prize. They wanted to win the prize. They wanted to get to the place where they could win what would be the equivalent for us of the gold medal. And I think we all know um, Olympic athletes enough that it, we would say it's not exactly a piece of cake to be an Olympic athlete. I think we know how hard, well, we don't understand, but I think we have some concept of how hard or these athletes have to work. And Paul says this because he knows that his hearers, the church in Corinth, would get it. And he says, they are, are training, they are working, they are disciplined to win a prize that will fade away. And then Paul turns a corner and he says, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. He turns the corner, and what I want to be clear of is the prize that he's talking about is not salvation. You could read into this in saying it's salvation, that we have to work hard so that we can earn the prize, salvation. And our eternity is a gift from our God. It's not something that we earn. It is a gift from our God. So then the question is, well, what is the prize? And I believe what Paul is talking, when he talks to the church at Corinth, he says the prize is an incredibly powerful, moving, intimate, strong relationship with your God. And you learn to live for him. And as you do these things, as you surrender your life to him and you live for him, you experience tremendous blessing. That's what the prize is. On the simplest level, that is the prize. And what God was calling the, current, the, church, to the church at Corinth to do through Paul is what God is calling us to do. That we would seek after the prize, as a professional athlete is going after a prize, that we would seek after that prize, that there is a God who created us, who knows us, and he wants this tremendously um, incredible relationship with us, but he's saying it's going to take work, it's going to take discipline. You're going to have to discipline and train your body so that it knows what it should do. It's going to take work, and likely there's going to be days when you have to grind it out. 
And he is calling us to that. And the truth is, is this starts, it doesn't end, but this starts in our personal relationship with God, in our time with our creator, in our time with our creator. And what I love about our God, we have done nothing to deserve his love. And yet because he longs to have this relationship with us, he makes a promise, a tremendous promise. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. And it says this, if you're filling in your notes, you're going to want to fill this in. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's Deuteronomy 4.29. may sound a little bit familiar with what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And this is what that says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Is there a word that's being repeated here? Anybody? All. He says it six times in two verses in case you're like, you can't count. Um, he says it six times. And so what God is making clear is that if we want this incredible, intimate, meaningful, powerful relationship with the God who created us, it requires our all. Now, one thing I want to highlight that he doesn't include in these verses is the seasons that we experience in our relationship with God. We experience seasons of greatness, closeness with God. We spend time with him. We read the word, and it's just alive, and you're like, wow, this is awesome, and you pray, and you feel close, and he even answers some of your prayers. He leads you, and you see that, and that's incredible. He gives you love. He helps you sacrifice for others, and it is just awesome, and you feel so close. There are great times, and then there's really, really hard times. There's times where you make time to spend with God, and you still don't feel close. Where you pray, but it feels like it hits the ceiling and comes back. You feel like you're talking to yourself. Or your, your mind is so busy with the worries that you face that you can't even think about the words to compose a prayer that make any sense to God. And you feel isolated, and you feel alone, and you feel discouraged. Um, he omits that. And the reason I think he omits that is because it's irrelevant. It's not unimportant, and it's not insignificant. That is not what I'm saying, but I believe it's irrelevant, and here's why. Because God is saying, I want you to seek me with your all, all the time, regardless of if you're here and your relationship with me is great, and it's popping, and it's making sense, or regardless if your relationship with me is here, or life is just generally here, regardless of here or here, you're close, you're, it's a great time in life, or you feel distant, and it's really, really hard, seek me with your all. That's what he's saying. Is seek me with your all, all the time. Now, um, let me be Captain Obvious here for a minute. That's really, really hard. If you're here tonight and you're feeling this right now, I'm spending time with God, I'm discouraged, I make time, I read the word, it doesn't seem alive like the Bible tells us. I pray and it doesn't seem to matter. You're here. I want you to know in some shape or form, I am there as well. I've been there for the last three months or so and maybe that's not even close to how long you've been here. And I'm not saying that I know exactly where you are, because I don't. 
But what I know is for the last three, four months, some of the time, the word pops and it makes sense and it encourages me and it uplifts me. And sometimes I feel like God's right there when I'm praying. And there's a lot of times when I'm making time, I'm listening um, to him in prayer, I'm praying, I'm reading the word, I'm listening to, to, uh, to worship songs, and it just feels meh. It feels flat. It feels discouraging. It makes me wonder, is this worth my time? Or it makes me wonder, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there. But my encouragement to us, myself included, is in these times or these times, grind it out, put in the hard work, push through, continue to make time to spend with God. Is it easy? No. But I have been continuing to grind it out, not to pat myself on the back. I've definitely slept in a few mornings, guys, where it's like, nah, it's not happening today. I just got to sleep. Um, but I've continued to grind it out. And my prayer and my hope and what I believe is that soon God is going to show up. That soon this dryness won't be so dry. That soon God is going to say, hey, Scott, take a look back. Look, I was doing, I was with you all along. And it's going to be like, what? How did I miss you? You were right there. How did I miss you? But this is so hard. But continue to work hard, continue to grind. And let me just encourage us, especially if you're here all the time, but especially if you're here, here's my encouragement. Sometimes we check it off. It's a, it's a to-do. It's a, well, I hear good Christians do this, so I better do this. And check, done. Yay, I prayed, I read my Devo, and woo, here we go. That's not the way, like, oh, I guess I better. That's not the way that we should approach our time with God. Rather, it's how do we approach it with surrender and humility? How we show up and we say, God, I want to meet with you this morning. I want to hear your voice tonight. I want your guidance. I want your word to teach me something about you or me or speak to my life. And yet, Lord, I want you to show up however you see fit. What might happen? That simple shift in our thinking has made a difference for me historically. So may we approach it from that perspective. Now, one thing that I want to highlight before we move on, um, get into some specifics, is uh, the few verses in 1 Corinthians 9 before verse 24, Paul says this. He says, um, I have become all things to all people so that they might come to know Christ, that they might know the hope, the love, the joy, the peace of Jesus Christ that they desperately need. They've been created to experience. I have become all things to all men so that. And God is saying to us through that, what he's telling me is, Scott, your time with me is meant to sweeten our relationship, is meant so that I can have a more intimate relationship with my creator, that I can feel his presence, that I can be in love with him, that I can hear his voice, not audibly, but I can hear his nudges. And yet what he's saying is it's not just for you. Because how is it that we can shine the hope and the light of, and love of Jesus Christ, the grace and forgiveness, if we're not in touch with it? How can we do that? We can't. We can't. 
And Jesus is saying, as you've heard said before, you are my plan A. There is a world that needs me. And you are my method to share me with the world. And so he's saying, bring your all to me all the time. Bring it. I want this relationship so, so badly. So here's the question. How do we do this? Practically, how do we do this? What I want to say is this, very simple. Invest uniquely. Invest uniquely. That's not a fill in the blank. Sounds like it should be, but it's not. Um, Invest uniquely. You are unique. I don't know if you know that. You are awesome. You are incredible. You are great, and you are unique. There is no one else in this room that is exactly like you. Uh, how, many, how many of you have heard of doppelgangers? People who look like, okay, some of you need to get out more. Um, just saying, oh, look, we're alive. There's a laugh. Okay, so um, it's good. You know, lets me know you're tracking. Um, doppelganger, you're unique. You are created in the image of God. All of you, you're created in the image of God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you uniquely you. There is no one else like you, and that is a beautiful thing, which, by the way, side note, this is why you need to be you. Don't try to be somebody else. Just be you, okay? Now, um, there's a guy named John Orberg, and he has this quote that is right in line with this, and I love it, and this is what it says. It'll come up on the screen. Because you have been created by God as a unique person, his plan to grow you will not look the same as his plan to grow anyone else. What would grow an orchid would drown a cactus. What would feed a mouse would starve an elephant. All of those entities need light, food, air, and water, but in different amounts and conditions. The key is not treating every creature alike. It is finding the unique conditions that help each creature grow. And I love this. And I'm going to get really, really practical here, and I'm going to be somewhat specific because my hope is, is that what I'm about to share with you helps you grow a little bit more aware of the unique fingerprint that God has put on you in terms of how you connect with him. Because some of you may be feeling this distance because you're trying to connect the way the person you came with connect, the way your husband connects, the way your friends connect, the way your pastors are encouraging you to connect. But really, God hasn't created you to connect with him that way. And so it's like you're beating your head against a wall going like, why doesn't it work? Surely this is a door. No, it's a wall. Like, no, find a different route. And so I'm going to talk to you about nine different pathways. Um, Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Pathways where he highlights nine different ways that people tend to connect with God. And I'm going to go through them. And my hope is this. If you have your notes with you, that you simply star the ones that you're like, oh, I can see myself in that. Like, or bingo, like, you know, just star, okay, good, okay, here we go, the first is naturalists, no, this is not running around naked, that's only meant for you, the wives of your husband or your wife, and in your bedroom or your bathroom, just saying, don't, that's not what that is, people, love God outdoors, love God out of doors, that when you're outside, if this is you, it's like, oh, I just feel closer to God. You just breathe the fresh air, and you're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, let me give you an example. This, I'm this. Um, there's been many times where I'm like, Natalie, that's my wife, if you didn't know. It's like, Natalie, look at that sunset. That's so amazing. She's like, yeah, that's, that's great, Scott. I'm like, do you see it? And she was like, yeah, you've pointed it out like four times now. 
And I'm like, no, 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 but it's still beautiful, right? And she's like, yes, it is. <laughs> she's very patient. Um, in that situation, I'm the naturalist. She is not. I'm just saying. Like, you know, if you're going, why do people put so many pictures of nature on Instagram? I just don't get it. You are not this. Okay? All right. Next, sensates. Sensates love God with their senses. These folks, um, they really enjoy worship, but when they worship, they want to use all of their senses. And when they do, there is this beautiful connection with God that is unparalleled. So that's sensates. Traditionalists, loving God through ritual and symbol. Basically the opposite of a sensate, just saying. Um, but traditionalists, um, they really appreciate structure in service. They appreciate structure in their time with God. It's, I'm going to do this. They really value um, liturgy. They also have a tendency to look for opportunities to sacrifice. Like that is a part. When they do these things, it's, again, that direct connection with God. And it is a beautiful thing. Aesthetics. Um, loving God in solitude and simplicity. So basically it's like, I love the world. I love people. Bye. <laughs> like, I don't miss you. I'm going to go spend hours on my own, and I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to be with God, and it's going to be amazing. And some of you are like, I'm twitching right now. That's not you then, people. Okay? Um, but if you can see yourself just escaping and moving, like, not moving. Sorry, got a little carried away. But Somebody else is taking care of your kids if you have kiddos, or you, or you just find some time on your own, and you're like, oh, I can breathe deeply, and in that setting, I feel like I connect with God, then likely you're an aesthetic. Activists, loving God through confrontation. These are the people, if you're this, you hear about somebody's rights who are being taken advantage of, and you immediately want to fight for them. Um, and you get this holy discontent, you hear about something, and it's like, no, that cannot exist in this world. And when you do, again, it sparks this love relationship with your creator. It's a beautiful thing. And caregivers are very closely related to activists in that caregivers, um, they see people being wronged, overlooked, the poor, the needy, the broken, and they want to go and be with them and help them and get to know their names, and hear their stories, and be there to meet their practical needs. That's a caregiver. Enthusiasts, loving God with mystery and celebration. Very simply put, these are worshipers. And when they worship, it is not looking like this, friends. <laughs> it's not like, I'm just going to stay here in my space, dump on me. That's not it, okay? That's not it. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Home. Um, here's a picture. There's a guy named O in it. And he's, this is a scene where he's in a car with his friend Tip. Tip turns music on, and his body starts moving, but he's never heard music before. And he was like, what is happening? And she's like, it's called dancing. And he's like, when am I going to die? Because I've never done this before, and I don't have control of my extremities. <laughs> and, um, if you're an enthusiast, the thought of doing this in worship may make you want to die. I'm just saying, like, nope, I'm going to stay right here in my quadrant. Don't look at me. Don't touch me. Like, it's more, and it doesn't mean you have to be dancing in the aisles, but you want to express yourself. Okay, and then the last um, are contemplatives, loving God through adoration. This is, I love to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, great example. My daughter, Sydney, is amazing. She's 10 years old, and a couple nights ago, I think, I said, hey, Sid, what are some things that you're thankful for? She was like, well, like, how many? I was like, uh, five, does that go okay? She said, yeah. So she names five, and she's like, I could keep going. 
I was like, I love you, you're awesome. Um, that would be towards contemplative. You enjoy looking back at life, seeing how God has been alive and active and moving in your life, and then thanking him. And in the world, and in the lives of those you care about, but it's a lot of thank you, thank you, thank you. And then the last one is um, intellect, I believe, and um, intellectuals, and it's loving God with the mind. These are people who um, you tend to enjoy reading, you tend to enjoy doing Bible study. When you do, it's like the rest of the world is gone, and you just lose track of time. And when you have an aha, it is the bestest thing in the whole world. Yes, you heard me right, bestest, okay? And when you learn something new and you have that aha, that light bulb goes off, it's again like that direct connection with God, and you feel closer to God. Now, in your notes, there's a survey link and there's a link to um, further study. And so my encouragement is this. If you don't know what your pathway is, figure it out and lean into it. If you are a naturalist and you don't get outside, you are suffocating yourself and your relationship with God. Get outside. Do what helps you naturally connect with God. Okay? Now, here's the thing. This is amazing. This is a great list, but it's not all-inclusive. Like, these are pathways to God, but to partner with this, we need to talk about a few spiritual disciplines. So, hang with me. You're doing great. Here we go. Spiritual disciplines. The first is celebration. I just mentioned my daughter, Sydney. She loves saying thank you when we're praying at night. She loves that. My son, Hunter, same deal. So celebrating is just saying, God, you're great. Thank you. Or if you want to dance, dance. If you, whatever you do to celebrate, celebrate. Slowing is another discipline. We go so fast all the time. And um, that pacifier in your pocket, i.e. a smartphone, that helps you go fast and keep going fast. The mobile devices. So if you want to slow down, here's my recommendation. On all your devices, turn it on airplane mode. Put it in a safe and close it and give your spouse or your friend the, the password. And you don't go near, go like 14 rooms away if you have 14 rooms in your house. But you get my point. Slow down. Get away from TV. Get away from your mobile devices. And just be and it's going to be unnerving, so start with smaller amounts of time and then work your way up. But that is hugely important. Prayer. We just did an incredible nine-week series on prayer. God is great. God is good. And it taught us a lot about the Lord's prayer and how to engage in prayer, how to talk, how to listen, how to live differently as a result of prayer. Very simply, God calls us, Jesus calls us, to find a prayer closet, to pray in private, and to pray from our heart, and then to listen. So prayer is hugely important as well. Confession is, um, is not just beating yourself up, but it's like we need to say I'm sorry, and we need to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because that is one of the most incredible things about him is he forgives us again and again and again. Reading scripture. Um, as I mentioned already, there's a passage that says the word of God is active and living, and I also mentioned that some of you have probably experienced, as I have, times when it's like, really? I believe that, but is it really? It really is. It really is. 
And there are really times when it doesn't feel like it is, but it really is. And God calls every one of us to make time to read the word. It might not be your primary discipline that you connect with God through, but it is critical that you do that. Community. Community. How is it that you connect with others in a way that encourages your faith? Sharing life, praying for each other, the ups, the downs, also talking about scripture. How is it that we can do this? Because that is another discipline that helps us grow. Um, playing. Yeah, I just said that out loud. I think saw some heads like, what? Yeah, play. As adults, I think we sometimes l- are really bad at playing. Really bad at playing. And we need kids to remind us, be carefree, let go, have fun. My son Hunter the other day just said, hey, Dad, let's wrestle. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't really want to wrestle. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. Um, because it's like, how old and lame am I if I don't want to wrestle with my son, right? Like, that's dumb. And so I was like, yeah, let's go. And it was a blast. Play. Oddly enough, God created us to have fun. God created us to play. So create space to do something you enjoy to play. Sabbath. Stop doing so that you, in, you can invite God to rejuvenate. How is it that we stop doing something for a day and invite God to rejuvenate? And if you're like, there is no way I can take a whole day, take an hour, take half of a day, schedule something, but make this happen. Fasting. Um, This is largely when you go without in order to increase your awareness of how great God is and to remind you sometimes to pray. So when your stomach's like, feed me! It's like, oh, right, I'm going to pray for Rebound of Whatcom County. I'm going to pray for our pastors. I'm going to pray for our elders. I'm going to pray for Engedi. I'm going to pray for missions. I'm going to pray for Esperanza. I'm going to pray for my family and friends who don't know Jesus. And whenever your stomach growls, you pray. And it's amazing how wonderfully terrible that is, not eating food for a day. It is wonderfully terrible. Um, Worship. Worship. How do you worship God? Um, here's a cool idea. I did this just recently. Um, I turned on a worship music, a worship music, a worship album, and I listened to the lyrics. And it was amazing how God just spoke to me and encouraged me through them. Make sure that they're Jesus Christ centered, but whether it's like, um, oh, I'm blinking on his name. I'm sorry. Amy, what's Amy? Amy, Amy Grant, and Michael W. Smith. Whether you're like, dude, those are my people. Or you're like, no, I'm really feeling Hillsong and Bethel, just whatever it is. Listen to that. Engage here on the weekend, but worship. And then journal. Journaling. These are, this is not exhaustive. By the way, journaling is great if, you, if your mind races just nonstop. And you're like, I can hardly think straight. Journaling forces you to articulate your thoughts. It forces you to slow down and really ask yourself, what am I trying to say? And what do I really want to ask God for, but it's journaling. Um, when I was in high school, I think it was high school, maybe middle school, I learned how to ski. Um, if you've learned how to ski, you've learned about pie, right? Wedge, pizza, something, just nod if you're with me. Good, there's like three of us together. Okay, so you can learn from me then. So my instructor was like, okay, just keep a wedge going. Don't point both your skis down the hill or you're going to die. That's my, I read into that. He didn't say that. Um, Point your, your, do the wedge, hands up, look where you want to ski. Okay? Okay. 
okay, this is going okay, I'm not dying yet. Right? Okay, so as the day progressed, it got a little looser and more natural, and I'm carving a little bit. And by the end, I thought I was all that, because I was like, I don't know what that's called, like hockey stop, ice skating stop, skid stop, whatever it was, but I think you get the idea, just snow everywhere. And I was like, yeah! And so it was a progression, though. I started here with the long stairs in every direction, totally focused on what I'm doing. And then it got a little bit more casual, a little more natural, a little more natural to the end. It was like, yeah, this is fun. This is great. Now, I tell you this because I think sometimes when we come back to 10,000 hours, when we think of 10,000 hours, it's like, oh, when I log my 10,000th hour, boom, it's going to click. And that's not true. It's a progression. Your first hour to your 10th hour to your 100th hour. And the reason I bring this up is when you start practicing these different ways to connect with God or disciplines that you haven't practiced before, it's going to feel a lot like this. But keep trying. Keep practicing. Keep grinding it out. And if one, you're like, this does not fit. This boot is too small. Move away from it. But you do have to try in order to get comfortable with these things. You do have to try. God can't influence us if we don't show up. God can't influence us if we don't show up. So show up, even when it means grinding it out. Even when it means grinding it out, fighting through obstacles, being consistent, working hard, even when it's not fun, when it's not clicking, when it's not making sense, God says, love me with your all. When I was preparing for this message, I asked myself, who is a biblical character who is a great example of grinding it out? The first person that came into my mind, other than Jesus, because that's Sunday school answer, um, was David. We read the Psalms, and you see David all over the place. He's like, God, you're amazing. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? I'm so sorry! Oh, God! Like, you see God everywhere, right? It's like, whoa, whoa! But what's beautiful is regardless of how he's feeling, regardless of the circumstances, who's he talking to? God. He is grinding it out, even when it's hard, even when it's tough, even when it's overwhelming. And I want to share a psalm um, with you that... There's my prayer for us. It's Psalm 63, verses 1 through 3. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. My prayer is that we would learn to be desperate for Jesus. And as we are, as we seek after him, like water in a dry and barren land, that we would find him as he promises in Deuteronomy 4. And that as we find him, we would learn to the core of who we are, that your love is better than life itself. That is amazing. That is powerful. That is absolutely incredible. Now, unfortunately for us, it, it can be really easy to lose sight of how great God's love is. 
And so what I want to do is I want to share a video with you that's about three and a half minutes. And for me, I don't watch this one all the time, but when I do, it's just like, it gets, so if you're sleeping, you won't be in about three minutes, okay? It's like, it gets the heart pumping and it's like, man, God is awesome. So if you would, take a look at these screens. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Yeah, right? Fist pumps and a lake. That, right? Like, that is our God. And that God is like, please, 
Bring me your all. I will show up. Seek me with all of you and I will show up and your relationship with me will grow and it will become strong and it will be amazing and you will experience a deeper, more meaningful intimacy than you ever have and I will shine more brightly through you as a result of that relationship and that is what he longs for and that is what he invites us to. So my question for us is very, very simple. How will you show up this week? Not if you will, not will you, but how will you? What pathway, what discipline? What pathway or what pathways and what discipline or disciplines will you try this week? God is a good, good father. That was week one of our series on the Lord's Prayer, that he is a good, good father, that he loves you more wholly and perfectly than we could ever imagine. And so it's fitting that we're going to sing that song to wrap this service up tonight. So what I want to do, want to do is invite you to stand up and sing with all of you. Sing in response to this incredible video we just saw about how amazing our God is.